Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRM. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman and glad to be with you here. I am the founder of Mindset Go, where we help people become more confident and effective communicators by using emotional intelligence and by recognizing opportunities to influence people's thoughts, feelings, and actions. So let's get right into this today. We're, we're talking about the opportunity to advocate for what you need and want. And I was thinking before the show today, I was like, what's the reward for speaking up? Because because I know a lot of the I lo- I know a lot of the uh, negative things we tell ourselves about speaking up, but what's the reward for speaking up? And you know, I think about I want to start at the executive C-suite level because think about put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Some some executives are managed by a board that they have to answer to. If you're a CEO and you don't have a board then who are you answering to eventually, right? If it's your company, it's nobody. But your peers and the people on the senior leadership team certainly have to answer to you. There's always something to answer to. And if there isn't someone to answer to, there's always something to answer to. And it could be revenue. It could be growth. It could be employee satisfaction. There's lots of things that people have to be accountable for. But if you're an executive and you're going to speak up to your board about things that you're not happy about, before you risk speaking up, you would have to have a confidence and a comfort level that what? And this is why I'm starting out with this today. When you speak up for what you want and need, what do those expectations look like? Right? Because if you speak up for what you want and need and you're not heard and you're not listened to, and what you're speaking up about isn't acted upon, you may not be inclined to speak up again, at least to that person. But the challenge is in life that people who have struggled advocating for themselves or advocating for other people often have baggage that when they've tried to advocate, or in their mind, I'm using the word they might say, when they feel like they've made their best effort to advocate in the past, it hasn't worked out or it's blown up in their face. And what does even blown up in their face mean? Blown up in their face means they were rejected. And maybe in a very harsh way, they were rejected. So we're seeing this huge trend and epidemic of burnout in the workplace. Overwhelm, stress, burnout. People are saying things like, I don't like how I'm being treated. I feel taken advantage of. They expect me to do blank. I can't get my work done. I'm in so many meetings. They don't include me when. All of these specific challenges that people have, and they tell themselves, I'm stuck. I'm resigned to my fate. I can't do anything about it. 
And I often caution people when I'm teaching them how to be an emotionally intelligent communicator, that when you advocate for yourself, there's some responsibilities in how you advocate for yourself. For instance, are you complaining or are you educating and sharing? Because the difference between a complaint and educating and sharing information with someone is often your word choice and your tone and maybe your body language to boot. So there's two sides to this coin. It is very difficult to advocate for yourself if you have unrealistic expectations when you advocate for what you want and need. See, from my perspective, I want to be heard. I want to be listened to. I can't get a guarantee that the person will do what I ask, will do what I want and need, but I sure as heck want to be listened to and heard. What does that look like? What that looks like is I want the person to ask me some questions about why I want need what I need, how it's impacting me to not have it. I want them to be curious. I want them to understand the scope of what I'm advocating for. I don't want them to be in a rush. I don't want them to have to race to another meeting. I want them to spend time to listen and ask thoughtful questions to understand the impact of the points I'm raising. That's what I want. Now, so many people, when I'll ask them, if you're going to have a conversation with someone where you're hoping you're changing someone's mind or changing their perspective or asking them to do something different than they presently do, what would make that conversation worthwhile? And the answer I get eight or nine of every 10 times is if the person does what I ask them to do. But that's, that's not why you advocate. It can be a side benefit to advocating, but that's ultimately not why you advocate. So look, what it comes down to is one of the reasons you want to advocate is because if you don't speak up for what you want and need, you may internalize your frustration. And the consequences in, in uh, cost to internalizing your disappointment, your frustration for not getting or having what you want and need is how you impact the environment around you. So if you say to someone or you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. You know, I feel like they don't understand. I feel like they don't understand I have a life outside of work. They don't understand that I haven't seen my kids all week and I don't want to work tonight. I want to spend time with my kids. I feel like they don't understand. And the truth is, they may not understand. You know why? Because people get caught up in their own lives and their own responsibilities and their own pressures. So frankly, they may not understand. Because in the moment when they're making these, what you perceive as unreasonable demands about them, they may not be thinking about how their asks and requests are impacting you physically, emotionally, mentally, how it, how it impacts your motivation, your productivity, your excitement for the job. They may not understand that. They also may understand it and they may not care. There is that. But here's the challenge, right? If your attitude is they just don't get it, instead of saying they don't get it, 
have you had an opportunity? Do you want to take advantage of an opportunity to advocate for yourself so you can educate? You can share the impact of what's going on for you and the requests being made. If you have told yourself, Mark, I've already talked to them. I've had two conversations with them. I've already had one conversation with them. It doesn't work. Well, you sure? Because when you had the initial conversation to advocate for yourself, did you share the impact? Did you share the why? Did you share how it's affecting your happiness, productivity, and motivation in the workplace? Or did you just complain? Or just did you say, it's got to change? No? And in some work environments, maybe people, that's all they need to help you and make better decisions to support you. But in many, there's, like I said in the beginning of the show, there's a responsibility when you advocate for yourself. It's, it's a sales pitch. It's a personal sales pitch to get what you need and want to be happier and more successful. That's what we're talking about, a personal sales pitch to influence people to want to behave, act differently. I said it a few weeks ago on the show, on the show, you train people how to treat people every day, every conversation, written, verbal, nonverbal, by your lack of advocating, by your choice to enable, by your struggle to be assertive. You are training people how to treat you. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't, it's not that I don't have empathy. I understand there's a lot that goes into being assertive and being comfortable advocating. I get it. That's why I'm dedicating some shows to this, because it is so hard to do. But first thing I want you to recognize is, have you taken the opportunity to advocate, to do something about what you're frustrated about? And if you say you have, how good was your effort? Can you look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know, to be honest, I don't know that I represented my point of view as effectively as I could have. So when we come back from our next segment, we're going to talk about what some of those barriers to advocating are and how you can get around them. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about advocating for what you need and want. And we're talking about uh, recognizing that you have choices and that you can act on those choices. Towards the end of the last segment, we were talking about one of the barriers to people speaking up for what they need and want is the expected outcomes of the exercise. And a lot of what I'm helping companies and individuals with now is developing the right kind of habits and behaviors and processes so you get the outcomes you want. You cannot control how other people react to you, but you can control your ability to influence people. And so I was saying right before the break that if you feel like you've spoken up for what you want and need before and didn't get the result or outcome you want, it's time to discern between what could I have done better and what is it about the person that may not ever change. But where it really has to start is you've got to decide what it is you want or, or what needs to change. It could be your job. It could be some additional training and coaching. It could be your compensation, your weight, your mental and emotional happiness, your car, your partner. I mean, it goes with so many things that affect your happiness, relationships, material things, shelter, food, self-esteem, confidence, support systems. It goes on and on. However, you have to understand 
what you want or what needs to change. And then you have to understand what it would be like if it did change. So if you were to get a different job, what would that look like? And I don't mean just it would be more money. I don't mean it would just be a better title. I mean, like, what would it look like? And there's three buckets I talk about, and that is physical, mental, and emotional well-being. So Mindset Go recently acquired a wellness company, and we brought on a company called Whole Body and Life Focus. And uh, we're now working with the president of that company, Patty Burke. And we often talk about the mind-body connection. And so when you're trying to understand how things would change for you, you know you're upset. You know you're not happy. That's the easy part because you're experiencing it every day. But it has to start with when I'm not happy. What does that look like for me? Does it mean that I'm moody? Does it mean that I don't, I like to isolate myself emotionally and not really be around people? Does it mean I may send more emails than have more uh, verbal or Zoom related interactions because I don't really want to deal with people because of how often they disappoint me? What are the consequences to you? Do you get frequent headaches? Do you go home from work and you have zero energy? So when your partner or when your children or whoever is in your life is waiting and excited to see you and spend time with you, you don't have that time or that energy, more importantly. You know, how does the stress and anxiety affect you? We're talking motivation. We're talking motivation around relationships. We're talking about motivation around free time. We're talking about motivation to be a parent. And, and parent the way you know you can and the way you know you want to. We're talking about motivation to support the team that you lead and to model the behaviors you desire to model for that team, for your kids, for your peer leaders. All those things come into play. It's so easy for people to recognize why they're unhappy. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, because for some people, they struggle. They know they're unhappy, but they struggle to identify what it is that makes them unhappy. Other people, they can tell you exactly what it is that they think makes them unhappy. I don't like my job. I don't like my, my, my partner isn't supportive. But wait a minute. Is that, the, is that the real problem? Is that the root problem? Is there, or is there an aspect of your job that you don't like? Is there a person at your job that so adversely affects your engagement and motivation to, to do your job? If it's a relationship, what is it about the relationship that makes you want to leave it? And it may be appropriate to leave it. But what people typically think are the things that make them unhappy are often not the actual things that make them unhappy, or it's a very incomplete narrative and you have to dig deeper to understand what it is about the job, the relationship, the support systems that are really triggering this level of unhappiness. But the moral to the story is this. You train people how to treat you. You do it by setting boundaries and expectations. You do it by helping others to understand exactly what you need 
and what your requirements are. And I want you to listen to the words I just chose. What your requirements are. Sounds like you're some big, bossy, needy, high-maintenance person. No. Requirements. What if I said, instead of what you need and what your requirements are, what you need and how you'd be happy? It's the same thing. But the word requirements sounds all formal and bossy. And the third thing is the support you need to be happy, engaged, and successful, whether it's at work or at home. Setting boundaries and expectations is so hard for people. I work with people all the time on being able to say no, being more assertive in the workplace. Assertive isn't aggressive. People confuse those words all the time. The difference between being assertive versus being aggressive or passive, or even passive-aggressive for that matter, is word choice, tone, your body language, and listening to understand. If you're communicating a want or need around a boundary, around an expectation, around support, and you do it with respectful words and tone, really positive body language, and you're listening to understand effectively, that's assertive. And that's the difference. When people go the route of aggressive, passive, or passive-aggressive, what they're saying to you in that moment is they can't be responsible for their word choice, tone, body language, or listening skills. That one or more of those four communication ingredients would suffer, will suffer, when they communicate their frustration. So they become aggressive, passive, or passive-aggressive. But if you have a mindset to advocate for yourself, I don't want you to be aggressive. I don't want you to be pushy. I just want you, in an assertive, emotionally intelligent way, communicate your boundaries. I'm going to give you a very simple example. When you talk about an open door policy, the reason why the open door policy has become so popular over the years is because we want to be available for our teams. We want to model the behavior that I'm a supportive and I'm here for you when you want and need. So what a lot of leaders have done over the last several decades is because they're so busy wanting to show that they're supportive and available for their respective teams, they forget to set boundaries for themselves. Instead of just being available at all times for all people, for all needs, it doesn't make sense. Wouldn't you have some kind of escalation or triage system? In other words, so if I work for you or if I'm a peer of yours, I can interrupt you all day, every day for anything I need? That's what you want to tell me? No, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can be a support system. You can be available and you can also set some boundaries and expectations at the same time. I help companies build these escalation systems where I teach them when to communicate, how to have their direct reports or peers, when to communicate, how to communicate, and what to communicate. So instead of just leaving it blanket generic that you, I'm, I have an open door policy and I'm here for what you need. Hey, listen, I got to get work done too. 
when you interrupt me, it affects my focus. It takes me time to get back locked in on what I was doing before you emailed me, before you called me, before you texted me and chatted me on Slack, whatever it is. So I, I want to set some boundaries because I have people I have to answer to as well. So I, believe me, I'm available. I let people know I'm available. I just set some expectations on when and how to communicate when they need me. That's all I'm doing. But I assure you, if you ask anybody that's ever worked for me, they might say some things that I don't like. But the last thing they'd say is, I'm not available. And I, I have my cake and eat too, because I set boundaries and expectations around that availability. So when we come back for our next segment, we're going to continue to talk about an advocacy mindset and what that looks like to act on it when you're overcoming your fears and barriers. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. And I want to share a, a story I just saw. It was a two-hour documentary on 2020 a few weeks back. And Netflix has recently released a documentary about it. It's called the it's about the Turpin family, a family of 13 out in near Riverside County in California. And these 13 kids were kept captive for 30 years. Uh, it was one of the most shocking, upsetting, heartbreaking stories. And let's let's face it, in this world, feels like we're seeing stories like that almost on a daily basis. But this story stuck out to me so much because I'm watching this story and I'm thinking to myself, there's 13 kids in this family. The parents put them in cages. They handcuffed them to their beds. They denied them food. They wouldn't let them go outside. And they had instilled such a level of fear in these 13 kids, ranging from when it was all said and done, 31, I think, to like two. They instilled such a level of fear that the parents would leave these kids for days on end, unattended, with no food. And the kids were, the oldest kids were told that if you don't carry forward and handcuff these kids and put them in cages, we're going to kill you. So there was such a level of fear. And these kids, this is all they ever knew, this culture, this, 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 this just heartbreaking environment. And what's interesting about it is, I think when a lot of people don't stand up for what they want and need, we're critical. Well, just say something, damn it. It's 13 kids. These 13 kids had multiple opportunities when their parents went away. They could have walked outside. And they actually had phones for some of these years and called 911. Matter of fact, the phone they did have, all it did was call 911. So they had countless opportunities. And like your first reaction sometimes is like, can't believe they let this go on for so long. But they were living in fear. So many of us make irrational decisions, fear-based decisions. The father of this family opened up a homeschool, registered as homeschool, and the state of California never validated the homeschool and checked up on the homeschool. These guys, this Turpin family, lived in a neighborhood where all these neighbors, it never occurred to any of these neighbors, I never see the kids going to school. I never see the kids outside. Parents are going away for days at a time. Nothing. Nothing seemed odd. 
not the public education system, not mental health services, not the Department of Youth and Family Services. And these 13 kids that are old enough to actually have done this, no one advocated for 30 years. It's hard. There's a reason why we call them difficult and courageous conversations, because there are a lot of barriers to overcome when you're thinking about advocating for yourself. You know, part of it is self-worth. If you want to advocate for yourself, you have to think you're, you're worth it. You have to think you deserve it. And if, you're, if your sense of confidence and self-esteem is that you don't think you're worthy of getting what you need and want, that is the biggest barrier of all. So this Turpin family in California, so this 17-year-old child in the family finally has the courage to walk out three in the morning, wanders out in the street, didn't even know where she was. She wasn't really allowed to go outside, so didn't even know the neighbor, just wanders around, calls 911. 911 calls a deputy sheriff, and the horror is eventually exposed. The parents are arrested, and these kids, you would think that was the end of it, right? So some of these kids were put in foster homes where there was more abuse to take place, but I digress. The point of me sharing that story is how many opportunities and how many different people could have stopped what they're doing and asked questions and advocated and didn't. University of Michigan. Dr. Robert Anderson. During the 60s, 70s, 80s, this doctor at the University of Michigan was alleged to have raped almost 7,000 athletes. Think about that number, 7,000. And 950 of those have come forward, have shared that multiple people knew at the University of Michigan, no one ever said anything. This guy was allowed for decades to rape athletes, 7,000 people. Now, I'm giving you extreme examples. I'm talking about this sexual predator, Robert Anderson at University of Michigan, talking about these parents that held hostage these 13 kids for a span of 30 years. So the consequences when you don't advocate for yourself in those cases are blatantly obvious, and we understand that. But I want you to understand the consequences of when you have opportunities to advocate for yourself, be assertive, have a difficult conversation, and what is the thought process that goes into that? You know, what do you tell yourself? Do you recognize there is an opportunity? Do you tell yourself, why bother? Because the person I talk to isn't going to change. Based on what? Based on you've already had this same conversation with them? Well, like I said in the previous segment, when you had the previous conversation with this person, you may not have represented your point of view all that well, which is why nothing different happened. So do we tell ourselves, why bother? Because they're not going to change. Do we tell ourselves, why bother? Because I'm not worth it. And even though you may not articulate it exactly that way, you may be thinking it, and it may discourage you from having that difficult conversation. Do you choose, why bother? Because the feeling of rejection and the risk of advocating for yourself, knowing you may not get the outcome you seek, is too painful. So you say, you know what, 
Yeah, I don't think so. Do you not advocate for yourself because you're not necessarily having taken the time to understand the consequences to not advocating for yourself? Now, I just want to preface my comments by saying, look, I understand nothing's black and white. Everything in life is situational. I'm not, if you're listening to the show, I'm not sitting here saying you should advocate for yourself 100% of the time because of what I don't want to have happen is I don't want your mental health to get worse. I don't want it to be a situation that takes you to a bad place. So I recognize that. What I want you to do is to discern between when is an opportunity to advocate for yourself and when there isn't. Because at bare minimum, if you can slow down enough and ask yourself a series of question, questions that help guide you to know, is this an opportunity to speak up for me, for what I want and need? Is this an opportunity to speak up for my team, for my kids? We see it a lot with parenting. Kids don't make a sports team, and their parent goes to the coach or school and complains. They think they're doing their kid a favor by, quote-unquote, advocating. Wrong. Horrible parenting. Sorry. I'm opinionated. I don't hide it. That's not good parenting. So, you know, we're talking about advocating for yourself, but we're also talking about advocating for others and opportunities for others. I see a lot of leaders in the workplace uh, miss out on opportunities to advocate for their team because they think that when they go to their boss to represent the point of view and perspective of the individuals on their team, they have convinced themselves their boss is going to say, yeah, no way. Can't do that. Don't want to do that. But when you choose a fixed mindset and you don't even make the attempt, you don't even hear and validate, your team gets a bad message. Because if you're just unilaterally making the decision, well, I'm not going to bother because I know my boss is going to say no. Well, he may not say no. He may say not right now, but come to me again in three months. He may say, or she may say no, but you know what? I hadn't thought about a couple of these things. Thanks for bringing this perspective. We can put it on a future meeting agenda. I mean, there's lots of outcomes that could come out of it. But the point I'm making is in that moment, when you refuse an opportunity to advocate for your team because you feel like you know the exact outcome that's going to happen, not only does that send a bad message to their team, it creates a culture where they're less likely to bring you their concerns and frustrations and wants and needs, because if they feel like they're going to be shut down or not followed up with, why bother? So you may be perpetuating a why bother mindset, even if that's not your intention. So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to talk about additional areas around how you can advocate for yourself and how to overcome the barriers. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to the final segment of I Communicate. We're talking about advocating for yourself. We're talking about recognizing opportunities to advocate for others in your world, whether it's individuals on your team, kids. You know, it's funny, right? One of the best examples I use when I talk about 
advocating with leadership and parenting is when a child comes to you and says, I turned in this project, I got screwed, I got a C. So what to do in a situation like that is you say to the child, right? Everybody, you know, I, well, I don't know if everybody knows this. You say to the child, why do you think you got a C? And why do you think you deserve an A? The obvious questions. And the child answers. And the child makes the most compelling argument. So if you're convinced of the child's argument and you think they have some good points, are you going to go to the teacher on their behalf? Or are you going to advocate for them to go to the teacher and help them prepare that discussion and what that conversation looks like? I hope you would encourage them to advocate for themselves and go to the teacher. The problem is kids, if they're going to speak up for what they want and need, there's also a lot of risks, obviously, for them even more so because they don't want to be the one that doesn't fit in. They don't want to be the one that's not included. I mean, what if what if you're a child at a party with sophomores and juniors in high school and there's alcohol? You think a kid wants to be the one to say, no, no, I, I'm not really comfortable with that. Hell no. And you can stand by the way you've raised your children and taught them their values and you know, making good decisions and, and you should, that's good. But if you think about it from a children's perspective, being the one that is a dissenter, they might be excluded from the group. They might, might not be invited to future parties or gatherings. They might be the one like, oh, you're a loser. You don't want to drink or you don't want to do pot or whatever. Can you imagine? That's so hard. Like talk about a barrier and a risk to being a positive dissenter. If you're, a, if, you're, if you're a parent listener and you have a formula to get your child comfortable to be a positive dissenter and to feel safe and comfortable and confident in who they are as a person so they will speak up and make good decisions, you get an A+. You've hit the mother load. So before you tell someone, well, let's even back it up a step further. Before you're going to advocate for yourself, you need a plan, a conversation plan. What are my realistic outcomes? How should I communicate my wants and needs? I don't want to complain because usually when people complain, that's not received well. So how do I just share my perspective? How do I educate people? How do I explain the impact that these actions are having, which is leading me to advocate for myself. It's called conversation intelligence. This is why I spent so much time at Mindset Go teaching people the cross-section between emotional and conversational intelligence. A conversation plan. And that conversation plan has to be, the pre-plan is, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? What do I anticipate the response? How do I share the impact of not having what I want and need without it being a complaint? How do I think they're going to respond? And once, once they respond, how am I going to handle that? Those are among the things you need to prepare for when you're having a courageous, courageous conversation. And for listeners, it may feel daunting. It may feel a long list. Good. Because if you're going to have an impactful conversation, where you can influence people's thoughts, feelings, and actions, you'd better put some time into it. Because doing it off the cuff 
without much thought and just kind of venting what you want need to change, it's not going to get it done most of the time. Conversation intelligence is how to prepare for a conversation, how to act emotionally intelligent within that conversation. Are you self-aware of when you feel like you're not being listened to or when you're getting frustrated so you don't let that get to you in the midst of the conversation? Are you self-aware of those things? When, when, the, when the person you're speaking with triggers you or annoys you or takes you off your game, are you going to respond or are you going to react? You know, that's the execution piece. And look, what we're talking about is it's, it's having a plan. But again, it's making sure your outcome is realistic. It is not that common, depending on the level of problem or, or situation. When you're asking someone to change a perspective, you want them to treat you differently. Remember, you're training them how to treat you. It may not happen in one conversation. It's rare that people change habits and behaviors that have been ingrained for months or years or lifetimes in one conversation. When you advocate for yourself, an outcome I always encourage people is, were you able to enlighten the person you're talking to? Did you give them information that sets them up to have some new awareness and to shift perspectives? Did you do that? Are they coming out of that conversation saying things like, geez, Mark, I, I, I didn't realize how this was impacting you. Geez, Mark, thank you for bringing it to my attention. Frankly, I wasn't even aware you were upset about this in the first place. Like, how about those? Like, is that a good outcome for a conversation? Or is the only way it's worth having a conversation is if in the first go around, people do exactly what you want and need and they sustain the habit from that point forward. Because if that's the two-part outcome you seek and that's your barometer for successful conversations, you're going to lose a heck of a lot more than you're going to win. I don't want anybody to lower their standards. I want you to have high expectations, but I want you to have realistic standards. I want you to understand how human beings deal with habits and behaviors. Most of us are running around like crazy with insanely ridiculous personal and professional schedules that no matter what you learn, whatever, whatever knowledge that you gain through training or coaching or um, osmosis, are you implementing it? Are you applying it? Or are you going out of a training or coaching session and then you're like, yeah, yeah, I, Mark, great points. I just haven't had time to implement it. Well, there you go. That's human being 101. We're, we're, we're needing to disrupt some thought processes, ladies and gentlemen. People are going from thing to thing, task to task, meeting to meeting, and they're on, constantly in reactive mode. If you think people are wronging you and don't understand your plight or the plight of your team, they may not. But it's not because they don't care or don't like you. It may be because they're in reactive all the mo all mode all the time and they haven't slowed, enough, slowed down enough to notice or care. What's your default assumption here? 
is when people, when you feel wronged and disappointed and expectations are unreasonable and high, is your default reaction that they're doing it because they want to get under your skin, they don't like you, they don't value you, they don't respect you? Well, in some cases, that's true. But in most cases, it's not. In most cases, it's because human beings struggle to manage themselves. And how can you manage other relationships? How can you be a good communicator and expectation meter and relationship partner if you can't even manage yourself and you don't have good time management skills, if your communication skills aren't effective, if you're not emotionally intelligent, how can you? How can you model and teach other people to do those things if you're not that good at yourself? So that's why I spent this show on self-advocacy. And my final thought is, there's a phrase that has served me my whole career. It never hurts to ask. Remember that. You're going to be told no. People are not going to always meet your expectations for lots of reasons. But it never hurts to ask. And it's time to start realizing the cost of internalizing your frustrations, emotions, and feelings. And what does that do to you physically, mentally, and emotionally? It's time to realize it. So that's it for I Communicate today. I am Mark Altman. For more information on Mindset Go, you can reach out to info at mindsetgo.com. Call 978-793-1159. Hope you have a wonderful day and look forward to hearing your thoughts on the show. Thank you.